Corinthians chapter number 5. And we'll begin reading in verse number 14. If you're able to stand, would you please stand in honor of the Word of God this morning? 2 Corinthians chapter number 5 and verse number 14. For the love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. That he died for all. That they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would please save those that are lost. Revive the hearts and minds and consciences of those that have fallen away. Help the people that have been faithful, but maybe they've grown a little weary. Lift hearts, convict hearts, speak to hearts, please. Pour out your Spirit upon this place and upon these people. We pray this as we ask it in Jesus' name and amen. You can be seated. This morning, I intend to preach to do two different crowds of people. Not because I'm trying to single anybody out or set anybody above another. But there are two different types of people that are somewhat indirectly mentioned in this passage. The Bible says, For the love of Christ constraineth us, and this is Paul who's speaking. He's preaching and writing the Word of God as he's inspired by the Holy Spirit. And he has traveled the world in his region to share with people how they can be saved and have a home in heaven. He has traveled with the group of men Timothy and Titus and Cephas and others. And they've traveled and worked together. And he speaks for himself and he speaks for those men when he says, for the love of Christ constraineth us. To be constrained means to literally be bound up as if in chains or by ropes, as if you are a prisoner to that thing that binds you. And when he said the love of Christ constraineth us, he was saying that literally when they realized how much Jesus Christ loved them, that they felt bound to do something about it. They felt constrained like they couldn't get away from it. That they had to do something because of how much Jesus loved them. And then he speaks to a second crowd. He speaks of himself and the men who have served with him. And then he says, because we thus judge. He said, in other words, because we have realized this truth, that if one died for all, then we're all dead. Now he's not saying that if one died for all, then that means that every person that they have met has died. What he's saying is that if anybody lives without Jesus Christ, then they are dead in their spirit and they are dead in this life. 
And the Bible says, if you believe not, you are condemned already. Condemned already to a place called hell. Paul was captivated by two things. And literally captive. Constrained by these two thoughts. One, that Jesus Christ died because men were dead without Him. And that Jesus Christ loved Him so much that He died for Him. I'm going to preach about the second point first, and then I'm going to come back to the first point that He makes. I want you to look at the second part of verse number 14, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. Now listen to this preacher. Just because I grew up in church doesn't mean that I got to go to heaven because my mom and dad were church-going people. And I did grow up in church. I was a church mouse. Maybe didn't act like one, but I was, from the day I was born and able to come uh, to church uh, from, the, from the ages of infancy. My dad has been a preacher my entire life. And when, uh, when I was able and healthy enough to come to church, uh, we got to see little Kara Joy this morning. And this is her first Sunday in church. And just like little Kara Joy, when I was a little infant, my, my parents brought me to church and and, and, and I was in the nursery until I was old enough to leave the nursery, and then I remember not wanting to leave the nursery. Matter of fact, me and, and one of my buddies, my name was Joshua, his name was Caleb, how we became friends and, and fulfilled that biblical prophecy, I have no clue, but, uh, but, but we ran around together in the church, and we'd go hide under the cribs in the nursery. I still remember that. It was one of the best hiding spots. Nobody would find you under there. But even though I went to church and I remember being a little boy running through the hallways of the church house, I had to come to a realization that I was dead without Christ. Why was I dead? Not because I wasn't trying to live a good life and not because I wasn't living in a Christian home. It wasn't because of, uh, of the fact that, that, uh, that, that other people around me had done anything wrong. It was because that me, personally, I was a sinner. And that because of my sin, I was on my way to hell. And on December 21st, 1991, the Holy Spirit began to speak to me in a Sunday night service not many days before Christmas and showed me that even though I was being raised in a preacher's home, that I still personally needed to acknowledge to Jesus Christ that I too was a sinner. That even though my dad had done it, I also needed to acknowledge that I was a sinner. And that even though my mom had done it, I also needed to acknowledge that I was a sinner. And even though my sister had done it, I also needed to acknowledge that I was a sinner. My sister couldn't take me to heaven. My dad couldn't take me to heaven. My mom couldn't take me to heaven. That I was one day going to stand before God all by myself in eternity and give account for my sins. And the Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and that what we have earned because of our sin is death. Not just death in this life, but death in hell, which the Bible calls the second death. And that's the death that, that, that Paul is referring to when he says, for, for we thus judge that if one died for all, then he says if Jesus Christ died to save all men, then that means that all men are dead. Are you with me? And that means that if you sit here, and I'm not trying to be unkind, I'm trying to help you. That means if you sit here this morning and you don't have Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you're dead too. Amen. It means that you're on your way to hell and you're headed for an eternal death. Now you may not have come to an Easter Sunday service to hear about the fact that Jesus Christ died for you. You thought maybe that we were going to hear all about His resurrection, but there could not have been a resurrection without a death. And Jesus Christ died so that you could be saved. He went through the torture of the cross 
where the Bible says that they smote him with an open hand. And these are not just everyday people. These are centurions and Roman soldiers that trained for battle. They were strong. They knew how to fight. And they walked by my Savior. And with an open hand, they smote him as hard as they could across the face. They took his beard with their hands and they ripped it from his face. And he began to bleed. And they took the cat of nine tails and they began to, 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 to hit him across the back with it. And the Bible says that that whip that they would have used, that cat of nine tails, as we believe that it was, that it was a whip that had nine different uh, 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 different whips on the end of it and on the end of each of one of those was something that was bound to it like bone or glass or rock or something of that nature and the intent was that when they would when they would whip somebody with that cat of nine tails it wasn't just the lashing and the pain of hitting their back that, that what would happen is that it would wrap around their body and grab a hold of the person with all that bone and rock and glass and whatever else they would put in there and it would grab a hold of that person's body and begin to rip into their flesh and often when they would whip them, it would stick to their skin and they would rip it. The Roman centurion soldiers would rip it across their body and it would begin to tear open their skin and reveal everything inside. My Savior went through that because I was a sinner and He decided to die for my sins. And He died for all because all were dead. And I was dead. I was dead without Christ. I was on my way to hell. And when Jesus Christ came to save me from my sin as a nine-year-old boy and I realized I was lost and that I would one day stand before God all by myself and give account for all the sin I had ever done, that if I didn't have the blood of Jesus Christ applied to my sins, that I would die and go to hell. And when I realized that, my friend, I came running to Jesus Christ and I went to an old-fashioned altar just like is down here this morning and I begged God to save me from my sin and He did. And my life has never been the same. And I'm here to say this morning that if you sit here and you don't know for a fact, and I'm talking about 100%, if you're not 100% sure that if you died today that you would go to heaven, then I beg you, please don't leave this morning without asking Jesus Christ to save you from your sin. You could get saved today and have it settled forever. That if one died for all, then we're all dead. And Paul was constrained to that truth. He said, my soul, I was the chiefest of sinners. And Jesus saved me from my sin. And I realized that everybody else around me was dead in their trespasses and sins. And I had to go tell them that they could be saved like I was. And so he gave his life to it. And so did these other men. And I tell you, nothing would make me happier as a preacher this morning, just like Paul said. Nothing would make me happier this morning than to know that if you're lost and on your way to hell, that you get it settled this morning and you have a home in heaven before you leave today. Amen. I beg you, please, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, understand His love for you, that He died because you're dead and He wants you to live. He wants you to live in eternity. In heaven, in a place called heaven, He wants you to have a mansion. He wants you to walk on streets of gold and have your sins covered and forgiven. He wants you to have fellowship with the Father. He wants to save you from your sins. That's the first crowd I want to preach to this morning. Those that unfortunately sit here, and even though you're alive in the flesh, you're dead in your spirit. Jesus Christ wants to save you from your sin. And I'm constrained to tell you that He will if you'll come unto Him. But I want to speak to the second crowd, which is the first that is referenced as well. 
Look at the beginning of verse number 14. The Bible says, For the love of Christ constraineth us. Because we thus judge. That if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which, what? Live, should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. You see, they give those of us who have believed in Jesus Christ a really good reason to live for God. And they said that they lived for God for this reason. Paul and those who served with him were totally committed to living for God. They weren't on the fence. They weren't fighting with their desire to go to church or read their Bibles. They weren't putting themselves in peril often for any reason other than they knew how much Jesus loved them. In 2 Corinthians chapter number 11, the Bible gives us a little glimpse of what kind of trouble that Paul and the men who served with him went through in their lives. The Bible says, or Paul said, of the Jews five times received I forty stripes save one. That means he was whipped five different times because he was a witness for Jesus Christ and he would preach the gospel and people would get angry at him and, and, and townspeople would get angry at him and they would bind him and throw him in prison and they would whip him. And he said, of the Jews five times received I forty stripes save one. Thirty-nine stripes, in other words, thirty-nine whips or thirty-nine be uh, beatings with a rod. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck. So in other words, three times he said I was traveling because I was trying to tell people about Jesus and my, my ship wrecked. Yeah. A night and a day I have been in the deep in journeyings often in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings, in cold and nakedness, and besides those things that are without that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. In other words, he just said, these are all the things I've gone through because I have believed in Jesus Christ and I tell others about him. Now, if anybody had a reason to quit or to be discouraged about living for God, it was somebody like Paul. What would drive a person to that level of living for God? Can I just say it wasn't good preaching on Sunday? Although there's nothing wrong with good preaching on Sunday, but the preacher isn't always on. Sometimes the preacher prepares and prays and he still stands up and preaches a flop. It wasn't good preaching that kept him going. Well, I'll go to church as long as there's good preaching. That's, not what, that's what, not what Paul was in it for. Well, you know what? I'm going to live for God as long as there's a good music program, as long as there's a good children's program, as long as there's nice facilities and kind people. Oh, brother, if anybody knew what unkind people were, it was Paul. No. They lived for God because of something else that was keeping them faithful. As Christians, we need to find something deeper that keeps us serving and keeps us intending and keeps us in love with Christ so that we stay faithful to Him unto the end. We need to find something that's a lot deeper than the shallowness of how did the sermon go and how did the, the, the music go and how did the, the children's program go and, and what did the buildings look like. And, and believe me, I'm for nice buildings and I, I, I'm for good children's programs and I'm for good preaching and I'm always trying to do my best to preach. But the reality is that there has to be something deeper to live for than all of that. There has to be something bigger 
to live for God for, or it'll be easy to fall away than Easter egg hunts and Christmas services. Paul and those who served with him were bound to live for God, and they mention a few reasons that I want to preach to you and will be done this morning. Number one, because they knew Christ loved them. Paul was hurt many times beyond what any of us could understand. To be stoned or to be beaten and left for dead is something we can't comprehend. (laughs) But whenever he got hurt, he didn't run away from the Lord, he ran to the Lord. Which is the opposite reaction of a lot of us. When we get hurt by somebody in life, we get angry at God. When something doesn't go right, we get angry at God. Paul ran to him. When things weren't going right, Paul ran to him. And it was because he knew how much he loved him. Let me ask you a question. When a child gets hurt, who do they run to first? The one who loves them. Mom or dad, grandma or grandpa, aunt or uncle. The one who has showed them how much they care. I've seen my little ones when they skin their knees over the years. And I love them deeply. They don't run to daddy. When they skin their knees, they run to mom. Because they know how much she cares. I am so glad that our Father in heaven tells of his love in the book he has given. Wonderful things in the Bible I see. And this is the dearest that Jesus loves me. I am so glad that Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. I am so glad that Jesus loves me, that Jesus loves even me. That song was written from the heart of a person who knew somewhere along the line that Jesus loved them, that he died for them, and that he was worth living for. He loves me like I was his only child. Another song says... I've never felt so loved before. I could never ask for more. He loves me like I was his only child. God really loves me. Yes, he really loves me. He loves me like I was his only child. In 2 Corinthians chapter number 8, Paul said, I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others, and to prove the sincerity of your love. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be made rich. You know what Jesus did for me? He left the throne of heaven and all the glory of heaven. He left the riches of heaven, the streets of gold, the gates of pearl, the throne on the right hand of the Father. He left all of that because he loved me. And he forsook all of his riches and he became a pauper. He became a poor man. And he walked among those that were poor upon this earth, not because anybody made him, but because he loved us and he wanted to die for us. We know he loves us because he forsook the riches of heaven and walked among men. 
The Bible says in Matthew chapter number 8, And Jesus saith unto him, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Jesus didn't even have a bed to lay his head on. He didn't even have a home to go to at the end of the night. He didn't have anything. He was here without anything because he left everything to come and pay for a person who had nothing. Amen. He was poor for our sakes. He took upon him the form of a servant. In Philippians chapter number 2, the Bible says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. My Savior came to become a servant when he should have been served. He came to wash feet when I should have been washing his. He came to heal lepers when nobody would touch him. He loves me. And he loves you too. He had compassion on the multitude when they were hungry and he fed them. And he said to his disciples, Pray ye the Lord of the harvest that he may send laborers into his harvest. He said, Look, there's not enough people to tell all the people that need to know about me. He had compassion on them. Hey, listen to this preacher this morning. If you're not saved, you need to come to Jesus Christ today because he loves you. But if you are saved, can I tell you, the Bible says that we ought to live for him because he died and rose again and gave us a reason to live. What is that reason? I have to go to church because he loves me. I have to keep reading my Bible because he loves me. I have to be, keep preaching because he loves me. And he loves you too. <laughs> and that he died for all that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Well, you know what? He didn't ask us to die for him. He asked us to live for him. Amen. It's a pretty good trade-off, wouldn't you say? Yes. Hey, Christian, you've been on the fence a little bit. Why don't you come unto Jesus and follow him faithfully because he loves you? Amen. Oh, man, I got, I got a lot of preach left in me, and we don't have much time. First of all, they said that they had to live for God because they knew Christ loved them. Secondly, they knew he died for them, and we've already referenced it, but the Bible says in John chapter number 15, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And they saw the crucifixion that he experienced, and it constrained them. They said, My soul, we've seen what he has done, and we can't let him go to that cross in vain. We need to live for him. And can I say something to you this morning, Christian? Don't let him go to that cross, and then you not come to church on Sunday. Don't let him go through the torture of dying to save us from our sins and then we so lightly walk away. When Peter had the chance, the Bible says that when Peter promised that he would not forsake him, that before anybody even asked him, he began to follow afar off. He didn't want to get too close. Because they took him away with swords and staves. 
And Peter got scared. And sometimes we think, yeah, but if I start to get close to Jesus, what's, what's the rest of my, my friends going to think of me? What's the world going to think of me? I'm going to have to give this up and that up. No, let me tell you something. You might have to give a couple things up because they're sinful, but what you'll gain in return far outweighs it. <laughs> they said we have to live for him because he loves us and we have to live for him because he died for us. And they saw it. They knew what he did. In this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins because He died for Him. Thirdly, they knew they were constrained to live for God. They knew they had to because it was personal for them. We often generalize the death of Jesus. And we look at it like this. Well, Jesus came to die for all. And he did. But that's too general. Because even though he came to die for all, all means you. And that's personal. He knew you when he died for you. you. How could he know me thousands of years later? Because he's God. And he knows his sheep. I believe he thought of you when he died. I believe he thought of me. I think you were on his mind. So I don't understand that. It doesn't work for my mind. It doesn't work for mine either because we're humans. But he's God. And it was personal to him. It was personal to Jesus Christ when he died for you, and it ought to be personal for us that he did die for us. <laughs> Remember, God is using Paul to preach this message to us in 2 Corinthians, and so I continue to refer to Paul because in 1 Timothy he says, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. And I believe that everybody sitting here today ought to see ourselves as the chiefest of sinners. And Paul took it personal because he thought he was the chiefest of sinners. And I tell you, he did some pretty bad stuff. But God had mercy. And not only did he call Paul unto salvation, but he called him unto service. And he said, look, now that I've saved you from your sin, I don't want you to just be saved. I want you to live for me. And so Paul was constrained by that. He said, I can't help myself. If he loved me enough to forgive me as a murderer, 
If he, if he loved me enough to forgive me, the one who injured his people, then I am constrained to live for him. And my friend, I'm here to tell you, Paul knew who he was and he knew what he had done and he knew he had been forgiven much and he couldn't help himself. He took it personal and he knew that he had to serve and live for the Lord. Oh, I wish I could remind you of the wicked woman that came to Jesus and wiped his feet with her tears. And the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with them and leave her alone. <laughs> Behold, a woman in the city which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed him with the ointment. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins which are many are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. You know what he said? He said, you know why she's so caught up with the fact that I'm here and the fact that I saved her? Because she knows who she is and she knows what she was and he saved her from it. And he said she realized she had been forgiven a whole bunch. And to whom much is forgiven, those will love much. And that's not to say that she's a worse sinner than I. That's to say that she knew who she was and how much she had been forgiven. And I'm here to tell you, if there's any reason to live for God, it's because He forgave us much. Amen. He knew who He was. They took it personal that He forgave them. And they had to live for Him. They were constrained to do it. Lastly, and I'm done. Are you still in 2 Corinthians chapter 5? Look at verse number 15 again. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them. And what? And rose again. They saw his resurrection and believed he was still alive, and that constrained them to live for him. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. They saw him. And knew he was alive. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living. Whatever men may say. I see his hand of mercy. And I hear his voice of cheer. And just the time I need him. He's always near. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives. He lives. Salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives? Because when I got up this morning and I sought him, he was alive in my heart. 
they were constrained to live for him because he was alive. And they knew it. If his body had not rose from the dead, his enemies would have found it. They would have made sure that the whole world knew. They know where Buddha and Muhammad and Joseph Smith lie. People travel to their graves and burial places from all across the earth. There are multiple places where people travel in Israel to see the place where Jesus might have been buried, but they don't know which one. You know why? Because <laughs> nobody found him. <laughs> they can't tell. Where did he go? We don't know if it was this tomb or that tomb. And certain tourist organizations over there will tell you it's this place. And other preachers will tell you, well, according to the scriptures, it can't be there. It has to be, here. It has to be over here. And they'll show you multiple places in Jerusalem and in Israel and all around that surrounding country where they think that the body of Jesus was buried. And nobody knows where because he rose. He rose from the grave. He's not there. They don't know where his body went. And why? Because he lives. Because Mary saw him. Because Peter saw him. Because John, the one who loved him, saw him. Because about five other people saw him because he's alive and he remains today on the right hand of the Father and I've got to live for him because I don't serve a dead Savior, I serve a living Savior and he watches everything that I do and he knows when I'm good and when I'm bad and when I sin I can fall upon my knees and cry out to a living God and a living Savior and say God forgive me a sinner and the Bible says if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness Righteousness, because today he's alive and he answers our prayer. I know he's alive because I've seen him heal people. I know he's alive because I've seen him answer my prayers. I know he's alive because I've watched him move in church services and save lost sinners. I've watched him heal families and fix broken marriages. I've watched him take care of people that didn't think there was any hope. And he came along and changed their life. I know he lives because he is working in the world today. If you can't tell I'm excited, I'm just a little excited. I serve a living Savior. And you can meet Him today before you leave this place, not because He's an emotion, not because He's a feeling, not because He's some spooky spirit, but because He's alive and well, and He's a person who wants to save you from your sins. They said we're constrained to live for him because we saw him raise and he's alive and we're accountable to him yes. and he's good to us. Yes. <laughs> he didn't ask us to die for him. He asked us to live for him. Amen. And that he died for all. That they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for him and rose again. Christian, he's worth living for. He's worth being faithful for. He's worth going to church for. He's worth reading your Bible for. He's worth praising. I'm constrained. And you want to know why? After 40 years in church, I'm still doing it. 
because he loves me. And because he forgave me a whole bunch. And he'll have to do it again. But he's faithful too. You don't know I'm talking to my son right now because I don't have any greater desire than to see my children walk in truth. I don't know if I can say it exactly like Paul did because I think he was a lot more spiritual than I am. But I feel awful constrained to live for him because he deserves it and he's worthy of it. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would please save the soul that is nearest hell and revive the hearts of those that have gone astray. Rejoice, Lord, the hearts of your precious people. With heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody looking around, we're going to have a different invitation.